0: Many of you, not all of you, and you're not a second-class citizen if you're not doing Experiencing God, but many of you have been doing the Experiencing God workbook. Matter of fact, some of you walked up to me and said, man, this is challenging me, or man, this is hard for me, or this has been awesome. And that's exactly what I want to hear. Um, and so many of you have finished unit two, week two. Finished week two? All right. Cool. i love to see that. Some of you, few of you still have your workbooks out at the Connection Center, which means you're two weeks behind. So I'd get on it soon because it's kind of hard to play catch up. But, um, but um, get your books, get on, just get on, in, geared up with it and going. But you've finished week two of Experiencing God. And I hope what's starting to happen is you're beginning to kind of get this idea of how God is always at work around us and that he invites us into his work, into his ministry, and that in that connection, when we're, when we're involved in what God is doing, when we're partnering with him in his work, that that's where we really experience God. Hope you're beginning, you're beginning to see that. That's in the connection. That it's in the activity. That it's not in this idea of just kind of God giving you a devotional thought for the day. Um, God does speak to us. He does communicate with us. He does encourage us. But the activity of God is where we experience Him in His fullness, His power, His strength, and in, in transforming ways. And so every week during this series... It starts off each week with a, with a memory verse. And I know we don't like hearing that kind of stuff. Memory verse. It feels like we're in school. Um, well, disciples are learners, right? Are you a disciple? If you're not, you need to be. The disciple's a learner. And so every week we have a verse, and um, hopefully at least trying to memorize it. Like me, the older you get, the harder it is to memorize stuff. Some of you say you're a spring chicken. Some of you say you're old. But um, it does get more of a challenge. But these are pretty short verses, a lot of times ones that we're familiar with. And so this week's memory verse was Psalm 20, verse 7. So here's my quiz for you. Can any of us say that? So I'm going to say it and see if you can say it with me. Ready? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Hey, that's pretty good. Some trust, let's put it up there. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. So that's the week, the verse we've been focusing as we're going through these five five um, lessons through the week, five studies through the week. That's the overarching verse that we've been that we've been looking at this week. Now, if you're not studying with us in our bulletin, and I think it might not be in there this week, uh, we needed to tweak it. But every week we'll have the verse in advance for the coming week. If you're not doing the book, so this coming week you can jot this down if you don't have the book. This week, from Sunday through Monday through next Sunday, is Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. So Matthew 22, 37 and 38, for next week. And so, but this week, this is it. Some trust in chariots, and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. What I want to do this week, I really felt directed of the Lord, is to, again, preach the message this week, focused on our memory verse. And I'm not going to do that. I really didn't intend, going into the series, to ever do that. And the first couple of weeks, actually week two and week three, I've just kind of felt really directed to to focus on a memory verse and pull some of the stuff out of the reading, but not a lot out of the, the study book, but just kind of focus on this verse. So my question to answer for you today is, why would I focus on this verse today? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It seems kind of archaic and outdated to me. Anybody have a chariot in their garage? Some of you have horses, I know that. But I don't know if any of you have chariots. Um, so it sounds kind of old. Why would we focus on this verse? Why would we focus on this as we are learning about deepening our relationships with God and learning about walking with Him in His activity? As we're doing what we said last week or last couple of weeks, that we're building a framework that, from that framework, we call out for God to fill us with His presence. We build a framework and we say, filled the presence like Solomon, built the framework of the temple, and then they called out to God and the spirit, filled the the temple with his presence, that that's where the activity we're in, in this learning to walk with God in ministry and um, experience him filling us with his presence. Um, Why would we look on this verse about some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God? Well, because of one word, actually it's repeated twice in that verse. The word trust. Some trust in chariots and some in horses but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You see, if, say if with me. If, because I want you to get this. If you choose to really sign on to walk as a disciple of Jesus and that's an if. You can come to church every day for the rest of your life You can read your Bible every day. You can give money to God's work and never really sign on to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm saying if you choose, it's an act of your will, in obedience to the calling of God, to really sign on to walk as a disciple of Jesus, to really give your life fully over to Him, then you will find that trust is going to be a big thing in your life. Learning to trust God no matter how things are going or what things look like, that you're going to have to learn about trust. You see, if you do choose to walk in the path that he has for you, and it's a path of discipleship, then what's going to happen, and we're learning this in our study, is he's going to lead you into situations that are bigger than you are and bigger than your ability to fix and your ability to figure out. And you are going to need to really be able to learn to trust the Lord when he brings you to a situation where you have a crisis of belief and calls you to make major adjustments in your life, which is what Blackaby is talking about in his study, you will only be able to do that if you have developed this trust relationship and are developing a growing trust relationship with the Lord. See, that's what Psalm 20, this comes out of Psalm 20, that's what this Psalm, Psalm 20, from which this verse is taken is all about. It's a psalm that Israel, and we're going to read it in a second, it's a psalm that Israel prayed before they went into battle against a superior enemy. A battle that, humanly speaking, was bigger than they were able to take on, bigger than they were able to win, and it was beyond their ability to overcome. And this is a recording of the recording of the, of the prayer, Psalm 20. Take your Bibles with me, or fire up your iPads, and turn to Psalm 20. And let's look at that psalm. Put it in context of why some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Look at Psalm 20 with me, starting in verse 1. It says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. They were facing trouble. They had an army they couldn't beat. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May He send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May He remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. Remember, these are Jewish people doing sacrifices in the temple, their meal offerings and their burnt animal offerings. May He remember all those. Verse 4, may He grant you your heart's desire and fill all your counsel. And in in some translations, yours says, May he fulfill all your purposes. Verse 5, We will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots. Some of your translations say boast there. Some boast in chariots. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will trust or boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and have fallen. But we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord. May the King answer us in the day we call. You see what the psalm is? The psalm is a cry to the Lord for help in a time of anxiety. A time of, of, of fear, a time where they're facing a battle. It's a call out to God for help before the battle. Interesting, later this afternoon, noon, read Psalm 21, because Psalm 21, most commentators believe, is the pray there, the praise they prayed after they won the battle. So Psalm 20 there, they're saying, God help us. Verse 20, chapter 21, they're going, thank you God for helping us. So it's a psalm is a, is a cry to the Lord for help before they go into this what seems to be an unwinnable battle. And at that time, historically, Israel was militarily undeveloped. That's why they're crying out this kind of weird way. Some trust in horses and chariots and some in horses. Their, Their enemies had superior weaponry. Horses and chariots. Well, you might say that doesn't sound very superior, but when you don't have horses and chariots, that's like going to battle against an army that has tanks and you have just foot soldiers. Or one that has tanks but doesn't have aircraft support. That was that kind of situation. They were, in a, they were in a situation where they were militarily undeveloped and inferior against an army that had horses and chariots and they could ride in and they was like coming against them with tanks to destroy them. Israel was was in need. They were in lack and they knew it. They were fearful. But Israel, listen to this, Israel had something that their enemy didn't have it wasn't a superior weapon this is what they had listen they had a history with god that had built that was built on a relationship of trust what israel had that the enemy didn't had is they had a a long term hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of a history with god that had been built on a relationship of trust that they had learned that they could trust the lord you see, this is a psalm of David. If you look in the top here, when you read verse 20, you see on the top it says a psalm of David. let lets you know who wrote it and puts it in a, in a time context. So it's a psalm of David. So by this time in history, when David pens this, God had done a lot to prove his trustworthiness to the children of Israel. They looked at their history and they, they understood that God had selected Abram, who became Abraham later. And God said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And he made that possible, not just through human endeavors. He made it possible when he took a man who could not have children because he was 100 years old and a wife that could not have children because she was 90 and gave them this miracle child, Isaac, who was born, who became the, 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 the heir of the lineage that became the nation of Israel. God, he was the one who had then later down the road saved their people from starvation and extinction by sending Joseph off ahead of them into Egypt. In a way, no one would have ever expected could be the plan of God that his brothers want to kill him and instead of killing them, they sell him to Ishmaelite traders who take him to Egypt and sell him as a slave where he's then imprisoned because he's falsely accused. God uses him to interpret dreams. And he comes out and he ends up being number two under the Pharaoh in Egypt, the number two man in all the nation for one reason and one reason only because when in a promised land there's a drought and then there's starvation that they come there and they're protected so that, so that they, get, they get all they need and the lineage is rescued, the family line is preserved. God had been proven to be trustworthy. But then later, God had led them out of Egypt after 400 years, living in in bondage, where it went from from blessing to bondage in Egypt. And God led them out under Moses by bringing these incredible plagues upon the people of Egypt. And eventually, even as they're in pursuit of the enemy is pursuing them, and they're crossing the Red Sea with walls of water up on both sides, and they get to the other side, and Moses puts his staff down, and the sea drowns all of Egypt's army in the Red Sea. And they're delivered, and they go off Toward the promised land. In that promised land for 40 years then. In their wilderness wanderings. God takes them and says you're going you're to wander the wilderness. Because you wouldn't go into the promised land. But during that entire time. He blesses them and he provides for them. Their shoes don't wear out. Their clothes don't wear out. And he provides manna from heaven. And they learn we can trust them in a situation that seems impossible. And then God led them into the promised land. Under the leadership of Joseph, um of Joshua, Moses couldn't go in because he really rebelled against God. And uh, Josh, Joshua leads him in the promised land, and it says something, leads them to a place, houses that they didn't build, and vineyards they didn't plant, and great blessings that they didn't earn, and God just brings them into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and God gives them victory over their enemies. And when they're in the promised land, then they do what we do as people. They, they began to stray from God time and time again. And every time they would stray from God, God would set them free and deliver them again and again with judges like Gideon and Barak and Deborah when they would call out to Him. Even though each of those times they were in trouble because they had rejected God, rejected His ways, yet when they repented, God responded and raised up a deliverer to set them free. And so now it's David's turn. The second king of Israel, just after the judges And David, as Israel's king now, understands that they have something superior that their enemy does not have. They have a relationship of trust in their God who cares for them in spite of any seemingly impossible situation. And so he writes down in the middle of the prayer, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. They trust in what man can do. They trust in superiority intellectually and mechanically. They trust in abilities of man. Some trust in that. But you know what, God? We're different. We're the children of Israel. We're the children of God. And we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Because He has proven Himself trustworthy for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in countless situations. You understand something this morning, Portview. There's a principle here that God wants for you and I to get as we're walking through this experience in God, as we're just walking through life, there's a principle He has for you and me, that you learn to trust God as you walk with Him. And He establishes a history of coming through. As you walk with Him and trust in Him, He establishes a history of God overcoming in your life. As you walk with Him and trust in Him, He establishes a history of providing in your life when you have needs. See, He came through yesterday. So you can trust that he will come through today when you face something bigger than yourself. Superior situation that you're not big enough for, but you have a history where God has shown himself to be trustworthy. Now you could be thinking in your own mind this morning, you know what? I haven't seen God do these kinds of things. I haven't been in battle. I haven't seen God do these miraculous, incredible things where our little pipsqueak army destroys a superior army. I've never seen where God's done, where he's healed me or something. else. I've never seen that. So you say, how can I trust in God when he asks me to take a risk in walking with him? Because that's what this is all about today. As you walk with him, he's going to ask you to take risks, to do things that are bigger than yourself. And what I want to see for you is you start saying yes and you stop saying no. Because that's where you're going to experience God in your greatest. You say, but how can I trust him? Have I, I've never really seen that. And I would say, I beg to differ with you. You have. He has built a, he has built a, a history of trust for you. First of all, you know what He's done? He has given every one of us all the proof we need that we can trust Him. Because, friends, it's not just something in a book. History proves, experience says it's real, that He sent His very own Son, Jesus, into our sin-filled world to rescue us from our sin. That Jesus left the perfection of Heaven and came to us and lived this perfect life that we cannot live And offered that life to the Father on our behalf on the cross. Setting us free from having to try to earn God's love or earn God's favor or earn God's forgiveness. It's a gift because of what Jesus did. He gave himself. And friends, if you've really come to know Jesus as your Savior, then you have this incredible proof that you can trust him to provide for you. Whatever you need as you walk with Him, He'll provide for you because He's proven. About. Think about this this morning. When I was thinking this and praying about this and writing this message, it just, just hit me like a, like a thunderbolt. That if He did not withhold His very own Son in order to provide for our salvation, then why would He withhold whatever we need as we walk with Him in every situation? If He didn't withhold His Son, why would He possibly withhold anything that we need? He won't. Withhold what we need as we walk with Him. We can trust Him. Even if we can't see what the outcome is going to look like. When He calls us to something bigger than ourselves, we can trust Him. Because He's proven it. And friends, listen. Beyond the provision of Christ, which we shouldn't have to even go beyond that. But that's something big and it's it's kind of theological and it's kind of out here, but there's everyday stuff. Every single day He provides what we need as we serve Him. Just this week, I was told two trust, or given two trust building testimonies. I asked you a week ago, I said, as we do experiencing God and God begins to minister in your life, I want you to write them out and put them in the basket right outside the back window here. And people began to write out testimonies of, look what God did in my life. And I looked at this and I said, God, look at your timing, it's perfect on what we're talking about here. Listen to this first trust building testimony written from a lady in our, from the Portview Church family. It says this. It was, it was written last Sunday, one week ago today. It said, I've been praying about my finances. About one month ago, I had a $523 garage bill. A car, car broke down. That I wrote a check out for. I mostly live on Social Security, and I needed to stretch that money from, from, I needed to stretch that money from month to month. I knew after paying the garage bill, I, wouldn't, I would be short in my checkbook for my upcoming expenses. Sure enough, my balance as of today, one week ago, isn't quite enough to pay my electric bill until my next Social Security deposit comes in. then there's an asterisk. It says, but today. Before church, someone came up to me and handed me an envelope with my name on it. After lunch today, I remembered the envelope. I opened it and out came five $100 bills Exclamation, 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 exclamation. The car, hold on, hold on. The card was anonymous. No name on it. I knew that I knew that I knew this was from the Lord. I cried out for quite a while, tears of gratitude, to think God would bless me like this. May our Lord bless the person or persons who heard and obeyed one hundredfold. Thank you, Lord, how great thou art. Indeed, and let me finish this story before we applaud, and I want to give the Lord a hand of, of praise in a second. Because then Monday morning, this person happened to be in the church office and said, let me tell you the rest of the story. They said, Monday Sunday, I was driving home from church after writing this letter, and driving home, my car broke down. And I said, how am I going to do? And they took the car to the garage and repaired everything, and from that money that was given, had enough to pay the entire bill. See, God proved His trustworthiness. Now let's give Him a hand. God is good. He meets our needs. He provides our trustworthiness. Keep those written testimonies coming in. Because it proves that God is really working among us. But guess what? I'm not done. I said there's two that came in this week. And one was actually a week before that. And I want to share this one. The other trust building story that's really similar. It's interesting. These were similar. This was told to me standing right there at the altar two Sundays ago. Someone, we had people up here at the end of the service praying and I was praying with a lot of different people and, and that took quite a bit of time and somebody kept waiting right there, just kept standing and waiting for me and at the end and just kept waiting and waiting for me to come and be able to talk with me and pray with me. And when I got up there, I said, what can I pray for? And the person said, well, what I came to pray with you about, I don't need anymore because somebody met my need as I stood here waiting. And so I said, well, what is it? And they said, I came forward for prayer because I've got a real financial need. And I, I need I need, you know, I, I just need God to do a miracle. They said, but by the time I got up to pray with, with you, someone had walked up to them in the line and said, Oh, God wants me to give this to you, and gave them some money that met their financial need. Um, and they just waited in line to tell me about it to say, I waited here so I can just tell you. You don't need to pray with me. <laughs> Friends, God meets our needs. Praise the Lord. These are the ways we learn to trust God. You see, trust that God knows our needs and takes care of his children. We can trust that. But listen, there's more to that. Trust that when God, listen, speaks to you to do something, to enter into his activity, when people heard God saying, I think you should walk up to that person and give them this. That was the activity of God, the voice of God saying, enter into my my ministry. And when you hear God speak, telling you to enter into his ministry with him, that that is really his voice when you learn that. That those who gave can know that they heard from God because they were answers to others' prayers when they were just talking to God about it. What an incredible gift. When you receive, it's a great gift. But when you are part of the answer... When you know God spoke to you and worked through you, that is the greatest gift. To know that God talked to you and worked through you. Friends, you can trust Him. He's going to challenge you to do things that you say, I can't do that. That's the point. You can't. That's what He wants you to get. You can't. I can't. But He can. That's what Psalm 20 is all about. Church, these are ways we learn to trust God, And these are the things that we stand upon. When as we walk in a growing love relationship with God, He invites us into His work. And that invitation leads us to a crisis of belief that we have to make major adjustments in our life in order to enter into the plan of God. And even if we're scared and even if we're intimidated, we know we can trust Him. We learn that we can trust Him. We can, we can trust in the name of the Lord our God. And this is what happens when you trust. And if you, don't, if you don't recognize this trust relationship, this is what won't happen. But this is what God wants to happen. That we begin to say yes instead of no to his invitations to leave our self-willed lives behind and join with him in a god oriented God-empowered, God-fulfilled life where we see the reality of God displayed. Friends, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of a church world that just functions on the abilities of man. I think God's tired of a church world that just functions on the abilities of people. God wants to say, I'm going to ask you to do things that are impossible. But He can't do it because we just muster up our, let's let's do it. No. We do it because we listen for His voice and He says, you know what? Maybe you have it, maybe you don't, but I want you to take five $100 bills and put them in an envelope and write this person's name on it and hand it to that person. And then they go, wow, you had no idea that this was desperate right now or somebody's standing in line and some God speaks to you and says, walk up to that person in line and give them this. He's saying, I want to talk to you. I want to use you. Whatever that thing that's bigger than yourself, he wants to do it. Trust. Church, God is trustworthy. I want you to listen. On Wednesday nights, we're going through a group of us are going through a book, a series, the Good and Beautiful God series. And we're going through uh, by this guy, Author's name is James Brian Smith. And I want you to just read a paragraph that he wrote about trustworthiness. He says, God is trustworthy. It's week three for you those of you who haven't got to it. You're going to say, I don't remember that. It's week three. I'm ahead. <laughs> God is trustworthy. The God Jesus reveals would never do anything to harm us. He has no malice or evil intentions. He is completely good. And the fact that God is also all-knowing and all-powerful makes his goodness even better. I can trust God even if things look bleak. Friends, that's, that's the God that Jesus reveals. He is completely trustworthy. And friends, the reason I have spent this time today focusing on just one idea, this one idea on trust, it's because I know that, as we continue through experiencing God, that God is going to invite you into his work he's going to be you're going to begin to hear his voice, He's always been speaking, but you're going to be more tuned into hearing his voice, and I want you to realize that you do have a foundation of trust established, so you can move forward with God and not be paralyzed or robbed by excuses or fear. You can say yes to God. And you don't have to say no to God. Because I promise you, a life of saying no to God, you can still get to heaven. But you'll never experience God the way He wants you. You can still have nice things, and you, what? You can ruin it for the weekend and do everything that the world says will bring you happiness. And I will promise you this you won't be happy. You won't be fulfilled. Fulfillment. Because God created you in a way that the only way you find fulfillment is when you're walking in step with His work. It's the only way you find joy doesn't mean you quit your job and go off and run to China. It means that in your job and in your home and in your neighborhood and in your family, God's going to speak to you about things that are bigger than you and He's going he's to employ you in His activity and you're going to see miracles happen because you're going to listen to Him. You're going to go, but I can't do that. And he goes, finally you understand. You can't, but I can. That's what He's trying to get us to understand. That's really what experiencing God is all about. You see, friends, here's what I've learned about God. God loves using ordinary people. He loves to use people who have nothing. I always tell people, and they think I'm just trying to be falsely humble, I always say, I'm a nobody from nowhere with at best average abilities. At best. Maybe not even average. And you say, oh, it's not true. it is true. I'm not trying to be funny. A nobody from nowhere with maybe, maybe average abilities. God goes, I don't care about your abilities. I care about your obedience. He doesn't care about your abilities. He cares about your willingness to say yes when he speaks. That's what he cares. God loves to use ordinary people just like us. You know what? I see some really ordinary people, some pretty extraordinary people. But God loves to use us. Just, average, everyday, southeast Wisconsin people. He loves it. He loves to minister through us. And I want to end this morning by repeating a story from experiencing God. If you're going through experiencing God, you, you read this at the last day of last week. If you're not doing experiencing God, just listen to the story, because it's a blessing. It's a story about an ordinary man that God used in extraordinary ways. It's about a guy named D.L. Moody, and I've referred to him in the past, but let me, let me read what Blackaby has to say about him. It says, D.L. Moody was a poorly educated, unordained shoe salesman who felt God's call to preach the gospel. Early one morning, he and some friends gathered for prayer, confession, and consecration. This is interesting. That's what ordinary people who want to serve God do. They gather for prayer, for confession, and consecration with some friends. And they heard Henry Varley, a preacher, say this. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Let me read that again. The world has yet to see. What God can do with and for and through and in a man or woman who is fully and wholly consecrated to Him. It says Moody was deeply moved by these words. Later he listened to the great preacher Charles H. Spurgeon and Moody thought, The world has yet to see with and for and through and in a man. Varley meant any. Man. Vali didn't say he had to be educated or brilliant or anything else. Just a man. Well, by the Holy Spirit in him, he'd, Moody, be one of those men. And then suddenly, in that high gallery, he saw something he'd never realized before. It was not Mr. Spurgeon, after all, who was doing that work. It was God. And if God could use Mr. Spurgeon, why should He not use the rest of us? And why should He not... Why should we not all just lay ourselves at the master's feet and say to him, send me, use me. Friends, until we get to that point where we're saying, send me, use me, we don't experience God in the way he wants us to experience God. And I was thinking when I read that a week ago, I thought, God, what would happen if the people of Portview just begin to pray that prayer? What would happen if this, if God could change the world with 12 people who basically prayed that prayer to 12 who walked with Jesus, what could happen? If we said, really, the stuff of this world does not really hold any more attraction to us. That's what God tries to get us to understand. And we just began to pray this prayer. God, send me, use me. What could God do through us? Friends, it's limitless. God can Change the world. That's why he sent Jesus. God can change our community. That's why he sent Jesus. What could he do through Portview Church? If we just started in our hearts really saying, God, send me. Use me. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to Him. Send me. Use me. It's all about experiencing God. I want you to stand with me this morning. And I simply am going to end by praying and giving you a challenge to pray. I'm going to challenge you to come and spend some time around the altar praying or spend some time in your chair praying. And I want you to be honest and I want you to evaluate yourself today not for my sake, not for your spouse's sake, not for your kid's sake, for your sake, and say, God, am I, am I in a place where I'm, where I'm trying to really consecrate myself to you? Where, God, I am honestly saying, send me, use me. Or am I saying, God, I just want to keep you at arm's length. I just want to have this, this religious thing going on. But I don't want to really jump in with both feet. I want to just say I'm a believer, but I don't really want to be a follower. I don't really want to be a disciple. I don't want to say this, that you know what? That this is your word, and whatever it says, I choose to follow and obey because it's your word. But you say, no. I'm tired of it out there. And I want to live God's way. I want to live God's way. I want to say, God, send me. Use me. God, speak in my heart. And so I'm going to challenge you in just a moment just to come and whether you come to the altar and spend some time of prayer in your chair, I want you to just say, God, today, this week, I consecrate myself to you. Friends, understand this. The Bible calls us to be living sacrifices. Which means it's a daily thing that you say the prayer today and then you've got to say it again tomorrow. And you've got to say it again next week and next month and next year. Not that somehow we forget it's just that we tend to drift. And God's saying, Listen, I want you right here. And this is what I know. That if the day I say, God, I'm all yours, send me, use me, I am right in the center of His will at that moment. You go, But Pastor Mark, I've screwed up my life. You have. So have I. When we go our way. But He's saying, The second that you say, I'm all for you, God. Send me. Use me. I want to be your kid. I want to walk after you. He puts you right smack dab back in the middle of his will. And he says, I got you right where I want you. And he's going he's to speak to you and use you and bless you. Friends, that's what he wants for us today. So, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love to take ordinary people You love to take us and you love to use us for your glory. You love to use us to be a blessing. You love to use us to prove to other people that you really are real. So you'll speak to us and say, go meet that need. Because somebody else is praying and saying, God, if you're really real, show me. And we get to be the answer to that. Thank you. God, we want to be involved in things that are bigger than us. We want to really be able to say with Psalm uh, 20, verse 7. Some trust in worldly abilities, but we, we're different. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God, and His name is Jesus. And we trust in that today. So Lord, I pray for this church family that you love dearly. I pray, God, that the things of this world would begin to grow grow strangely dim. You'd begin to take blinders from our eyes so we'd really begin to see life as it is. this passion would begin to just well up within us right now. A passion for just walking with You. A passion for surrendering ourselves to You. And that God, as we do that, that God, You would employ us in miracle working activity and things that will blow our minds for Your glory and that we will be more full and more joyous than we've ever been before because we're really right in the center of your activity. So God, breathe into us this morning.